Hello, everyone. Uh, in this episode of the Hewlett Packard Labs uh, podcast from Research to Reality, I have extreme pleasure to have two gentlemen who will be talking about uh, IP and patents, intellectual property and patents. So here below, we have Amir Haq, who is head of patents. And uh, to my left, we have Joshua Dingot, who uh, is patent portfolio manager. Um, let's kick off this um, extremely promising uh, podcast with the differentiation between uh, IP, intellectual property and patents. What is one, what is the other? Um, sure, and thanks, Dihan, for having us um, on your podcast today. Uh, it's a good question. People often mix up IP and patents. What you could think about, uh, the way I think of it is, IP is much more of an umbrella term, which covers a bundle of IP rights, and patents is just one of those IP rights. And the other ones include trademarks, trade secrets, and uh, copyrights. Now, each provide sort of a different, different level of protection. Mm -hmm. uh, trademarks, in particular, protect brands like the HPE Element logo. Uh, copyrights protect works, works of authorship. So you can think about, you know, like a book. Um, but more relevant to us would be source code is traditionally protected. Uh, trade secrets protect anything that is secret. And by being secret, it gives us a competitive advantage. Uh, you could think about things like our customer lists or our roadmaps to the future. Uh, for example. And then finally, patents, the area both uh, Joshua and I focus on um, protect that technical innovations. And these are, um, one thing to think about is these are negative rights. Uh, they're not positive rights. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't give you the right to actually go do something, but it gives you a right to exclude and generally last 20 years and are uh, country specific. Mm -hmm. So I'm an engineer, I innovate. Which one of these apply to me? Um, so that's a, that's a great question. We often get that. And first point I would say is reach out to your IP attorney like Josh or myself, and we can help navigate you through that. But um, the, the different rights that I mentioned aren't mutually exclusive. So maybe you're developing a piece of software. Well, a copyright might attach to that source code. But if there's certain functionality in there that's innovative, we might want to protect it with one or more patents. So you could have sort of overlapping IP to protect what you need. Now, an area we actually get the most sort of questions is, is this better for trade secrets or is this better for patents? And if you think about it, patents are based on um, publication, right? You publish your idea, so the, and in return, the government gives you back this uh, limited right. And, and based on you publishing it, other people could learn and advance. Whereas trade secrets is kind of the opposite end. It's, it's all couched in secrecy, right? You keep it secret. And so oftentimes we get questions, is this better for trade secrets or is this better for, for patenting? Mm -hmm. And um, there's pros and cons to each approach and we recommend you reach out to us. But one sort of rule of thumb to think about is detectability. You know, if somebody else were to create the same thing as, as you or copy what you're doing, would you even know about it? Could you detect it? If the answer is no, that you couldn't detect it, well, then patent protection and ultimately uh, enforcing a patent might be might be difficult, mm -hmm. and therefore trade secret might be a better approach and uh, a cheaper approach. 
And um, by contrast, if you could detect that, then patents um, might be a might be a better approach. But always reach out to us, and we're mm -hmm. we're happy to help there. So now, if we zero down to patents only, what type of patents are there? I heard so, there are different types. Yeah, there's different types. Uh, typically, there's there's three different types that we think of. There uh, there's utility patents, design patents, and plant patents. And, and yes, there's a specific uh, type of patents just for plants. Um, but because uh, HP doesn't hire too many plant breeders or geneticists, uh, I'll focus on the first two. Uh, utility patents are the most common type of patent, and, and they protect the functionality of an invention, so how the invention works, so to speak. Uh, whereas design patents, on the other hand, cover the surface ornamentation of an object, such as you know, how an object looks. So design patents can be used to cover the, the look and feel of our hardware, for instance, you know, a specific um, design of a, of a chassis, um, something, something um, you know, part of the design itself. Um, it could, but it could also be used to um, protect things like our user interfaces that we develop, um, provided, of course, that there's a, you know, an innovative design element as part of those uh, mm -hmm. interfaces. Um, so a good example to think of would be, say, like the spoiler on the back of a sports car as an example. So the spoiler could be shaped in a specific way so as to make the car more aerodynamic. And that has functional value that could be protected by a utility patent. Uh, on the other hand, there could be some design aspects of that spoiler that are, are purely ornamental, and the, but, but nonetheless new. And, and those aspects could be covered by a design patent. And I'd add the vast majority of our portfolio is utility patents. Uh, Dehan, you're an inventor on many. I'm sure maybe all or most of them were, were our utility patents, but we still do protect design, designs uh, for certain innovations. That's right. That's a great explanation. Thank you. Now, can we zero down on how does a patent look like? A lot of people talk about them, but what, what are the parts of a patent? Yeah, and if you've never a patent before i'd strongly recommend just you could go over to google patents even and just uh take a look at, at what's out there um just to get a sense of of what uh you know a patent is made up of um, but generally a patent consists of, of three different sections um, there's the detailed description of the invention which is known formally as the patent specification and it describes uh, in detail how the invention works uh, and includes any number of different examples and configurations of the invention because um, the invention could exist in, in more than one form. Um, there has to be enough detail in the description though that the uh, invention itself is enabled. And what that means is somebody of ordinary skill in the art, say a, a typical person who works in your area of practice uh, should be able to read the patent and, and from the description be able to replicate it. Um, and you know, that's very important because if the patent isn't deemed to be enabled, you could lose your rights to the patent. So we want to make sure that we're really including uh, enough detail in our, uh, in our descriptions. Um, yeah, go ahead. And I'll just add the claims are in, in many ways the most important piece. Uh, you think of like a, a property, a claims really define your property line. So a, a the description could have a lot of information that may or may not sort of be covered in, in, in the ultimate claim scope that you, that you obtain. So when you look at a patent, look at the claims, and that'll give you a sense of the property right that was granted. Yeah, those are really like the, the heart of the, the patent itself. They, they define in exact terms what the patent does and doesn't cover. And, and it's really, as Amir mentioned before, um, you know, the patent is ultimately published and it's, it's for the public and, and the claims themselves are giving the public 
notice of, of what they are not allowed to make use or sell. So, so they are very important. And, and then finally, I'd also just add, there's also um, drawings in the patent as well. And, and those are illustrative examples of the invention and, and different uh, ways it could be implemented. Uh, and those drawings could come in the form of, of flow charts or schematics or, or really any other figures that would help further illustrate the inventive concept. Go ahead, Amir. I was just going to mention one other thing. A big part of our job is we work with the patent offices in various jurisdictions to sort of go back and forth about what that claim scope should be. And typically you file with a claim scope in mind, but then based on the prior art that's identified, you hone in and mold that claim scope into something that's acceptable for both us as an applicant and the government that we're, that we're working with. So it is a process, in other words. It's never what it started, but you know, it morphs into something that works very well. Correct. Uh, now that we know what patent is, um, can you explain to us why do individuals and companies uh, file patents? They even go as far as building complete portfolios. Why? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And for companies like HPE, innovation is one of our core tenants, and therefore we invest heavily in, in R&D. And one way to protect that R&D investment is through filing patents. And by filing patents, if you're able to, that application is able to mature into a granted patent right, we can um, have that granted patent right and leverage that to achieve various types of outcomes. And just to name a, a few, you can use patents, a company like HPE can use patents to, for example, protect our differentiating technology. So if it's an area where we're the first ones to move into that space and we want to be exclusive, we can assert our patent rights to protect this differentiating technology that we spent a lot of money on that R&D investment. Another type of IP outcome we can achieve is to actually create monetization or IP revenue via activities such as tech transfer, uh, patent licensing, and, and even patent sales. So for uh, many companies, you can achieve a return on that R&D investment in, in the form of IP monetization revenue. And then finally, it gives uh, the business it's sort of a freedom to freedom to operate and freedom to um, sort of proceed with business uh, business activity where they'd like to, and this is by deterring aggression by having a patent portfolio. Often you can mm -hmm. deter aggression by by other companies, and that's kind of at the corporate level. But also as an individual inventor like yourself, patents I think are uh, a good means to exhibit your uh, or evidence your innovative nature. Right. And as you are moving up, for example, what we call at HPE, the technical career path, having patents, having patent applications and being involved in those activities, I think, is a way to to evidence that you are innovative. You are doing things new. Government entities recognize that. And I think it ultimately helps um, folks, folks careers. This yeah. is a great explanation. Go, go, go ahead, Joshua. I just wanted to add, I was looking at a study recently and it was showing that uh, intellectual property itself, uh, at least in the US, makes up about close to 40% of its GDP. And that's up from 30% uh, just 10 years ago. So intellectual property is becoming an increasingly important uh, as a value add to businesses. 
Oh, this is a great example. Now let's um, be even more concrete. Um, we're doing this uh, podcast, we're recording it virtually because of the whole COVID crisis. Um, how do patents help with this crisis? How can we, uh, in this situation, contribute? Um, that's, it's a great question. As you can see, we're all in our homes and we're all facing a very unique situation in our lives. And I ultimately believe innovation is what's going to help us minimize the spread of COVID, to ultimately find a cure for COVID, and then to prevent this from happening in the future. It's going to be through innovative drugs, and it's going to be a lot of innovation that's going to enable us to get to those and do things like contact tracing and, and so forth. And one thing is at HPE, we don't want patents to in any way inhibit um, us moving fast uh, towards that journey. And in fact, we want um, our innovations to accelerate, you know, finding, finding cures and helping minimize the spread. And one thing uh, I'll reference that we did recently is we signed the open, open COVID pledge. And this pledge gave access to our treasure trove of uh, patents, free access to our treasure trove of patents to anyone who is working on um, diagnosing um, doing diagnostics for COVID, for preventing it, for containing it, and for ultimately treating it. So we want to make our patent, patent technology available and let everyone know it's available to, to utilize, to combine with their own innovation, to ultimately accelerate because at HPE we're, um, you know, we're focused on making the way people work and live better and nothing is more important right now than uh, addressing this health crisis and and that's why we've we've signed that pledge and and want to be a big part of that. And we're developing, as you know, various technologies to to help with the kind of the treatment as well as the um, just sort of sort of the situations people are dealing with right now. From you know providing Wi-Fi access to pop-up clinics mm -hmm. or using our supercomputing to help um, you know, analyze all the data mm -hmm. to ultimately. Um, to, you know, find a way out, out of this. Very nice. So humanity always comes first. Very nice. Uh, can we go back to uh, the, the whole process? You hinted to that, Amir, earlier. Um, I'm an engineer, or maybe I'm not even an engineer. How do I uh, file a patent? How do I even decide whether something is patentable? Yeah, well, I'll start by saying also that you, you definitely don't need to be an engineer to submit an idea. Uh, we really welcome any good ideas uh, to our team. And, and we're, we try to be as, as inclusive and possible in that regard. I think that comes with being a, an innovative company. Um, so there, there's really no red tape for submitting an invention to us. You don't need manager approval to submit. And there's no li limit to how often you contribute so long as you have uh, you know, plenty of good ideas. Uh, for those inventors whose uh, ideas are successfully filed, there's also a, a monetary incentive uh, as well for those filings. Um, so if you are interested in submitting your invention, uh, you can do, do so through uh, HPE's uh, patents page, and you'll be redirected to a disclosure form that includes uh, just seven simple questions that we've created. Um, and, and once you've gone ahead and submitted and, and answered those questions, uh, there's a committee that, that meets once a month to review the different disclosures we've received, um, and, and if your submission is ultimately approved for filing, uh, you'll be paired up with an attorney 
uh, they'll set up a call with you to learn more about the invention and, and really flesh out the details so that they can write up uh, an application. Um, and that application is, is ultimately submitted to the patent office. Now, of course, once that application, once they've written up that application, you'll have the opportunity to review it, make sure everything looks accurate, make sure it's complete um, before it's submitted. Now, just let's make it clear, this applies only to HP employees, not to anybody else, because... That's correct. Okay, so let's zero down on the idea. I came up with an idea. How do I know whether it's worthwhile patenting or disclosing it? Uh, yeah, I mean, just a general rule of thumb, I would say, um, you know, if you have what you believe to be a clever and novel solution, um, you know, it's, it's likely right for patenting. Uh, the patent statutes are quite broad as to what is considered patentable and, and can generally include any technological improvements or, or any invention having an industrial application. So this could be an improved process, uh, you know, a better way of, of doing something, uh, improved machine or, or component or, or improved computer functionality. And if you, you think you've come up with this clever idea um, that is rooted in technology, uh, and is not already known in the industry, then, then I would think that it's uh, probably uh, ripe for a submission. And of course, if you're unsure, I would err on the side of submitting, um, and our team is, is always available to help you through it. And what is most important for patenting? Is that innovation? <laughs> uh, there's plenty of, of important aspects, but I would say probably one of the, the most important things is just to be able to clearly and succinctly articulate what the novelty of the invention is. And, and you should be able to say so in, in no more than a few sentences as to, you know, what is the invention itself and how does it improve on, on what came before it? So, um, you know, note that we might have a, a new product offering, um, and, but, but a, a new product offering and a, and a new invention are not always the same thing. Uh, in fact, often a, a single product can be covered by multiple patents, provided you know that product has has multiple innovations tied into it. So, um, so make sure that you kind of succinctly um, are able to to state what the the inventive concept is and really zero in on that uh, inventive concept, um, which is very helpful also for the committee when reviewing these disclosures. Um, I'd also just add that that a strong patent expands on on more than a single application or or use case. Um, so, providing as many examples as you can of how your invention could be structured or used, uh, or, or how it's implemented, is always helpful. You mentioned products. Does it mean that um, a, a patent uh, has to be implemented before filing? So, so contrary to what many might think, the invention doesn't have to be implemented or, 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 or built at all before we obtain a patent on the idea. Um, an idea could be ready for patenting, even if it hasn't been reduced to practice, as we say. Uh, so long as the idea is detailed enough that a person of ordinary skill in the art would be able to produce the inventive concept in theory. So um, somebody who, you know, uh, the average person who works in your industry, uh, if they uh, were able to read the um, the patent, would they be able to to create that thing? So submitting your idea um, as soon as you have those details is recommended because um, the patent process does take time. And we want to make sure we can get your inf uh, invention on file before uh, it's made public or otherwise offered for sale. 
Mm -hmm. um, and even if the invention's not part of an HPE product or otherwise roadmapped, uh, it still could be a valuable idea worth patenting and should uh, should still consider it for a submission. Um, of course, we, we do consider whether it's implemented as, as a factor in making our decisions. Let's suppose I have an idea. How innovative does it have to be and how do I prove it? Do I have to research the field in order to convince myself that it's worthwhile? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question we, we often get. We, you, you, you operate in this space daily. You're pretty aware of, of what goes on. So our recommendation is if you feel you have a, a clever idea, you feel like it's something new you haven't seen, just go ahead and submit. We always recommend submit early and submit often. So go ahead and submit and we'll take care of the research part for you. We have a patent committee process, which we're innovating in that space um, as well. And we'll also commission prior art searches. So we'll, we'll take that part off of, off of your plate. So from your end, if you think you have an innovative idea, you haven't seen it, you believe it, it solves a, a customer need or a need in the market, then go ahead and write it up, highlight what the, what the problem is, how this is a technical solution to that problem, what the benefit is, and and we'll try to make it as easy for, for you from there. Mm -hmm. um, one thing to note though, uh, in the US in particular, there is a, if you are aware of uh, what we call prior art, and it's in the same realm as your invention, we have a duty to disclose that to the, to the US Patent and Trademark Office. So we don't recommend you go out and search, but if you are aware of things, please let us know about those. We have a duty to submit those, so we want to know. So make sure, uh, make sure you do that. You mentioned the US a few times. Uh, there is rest of the world. Is patent process the same in US versus international? <laughs> that, would, that would make things much easier. But um, as I mentioned at the outset, there's no um, worldwide patent. So it's all country specific mm -hmm. and every country has their own nuances. We are moving towards harmonization. There is definitely a want um, by many parties to harmonize. And for a long time, there was quite a, quite a bit of distance between the US, the way US operate and the rest of the world. Now they've come much closer with the US pivoting to a first to file system a few years ago. Um, but still one of the biggest differences is there is a limited grace period in the US, um, whereas other countries are strict novelty. And what that means is in the US, if there is a public uh, publication or public disclosure, you have a one year period to to go ahead and um, file for your patent rights. Where in the rest of the world, if you there is a sort of publication, you've lost your rights. Now, we don't like relying on that limited grace period because we tend to seek patent protection in other parts of the world. So we prefer to get in front of any sort of um, disclosure. But um, there is, uh, in general, there is a movement to harmonize, but there are still distinctions between the different countries. and. And just as a general matter, we can't file, you know, we don't file everywhere around the world. That doesn't make strategic sense. And from a cost perspective, doesn't make sense. So we sort of have to choose where we file um, based, on, based on a number of factors, including where our products are, where they're being manufactured, where our revenue streams are, where our future markets are, and so forth. What are some of the key regions in the world where you want to patent beside U.S.? Well, there's no one-size-fits-all. 
I'd say for um, for every company. But I think, like I mentioned, you want to look at where your revenue is. So you want to, you know, if, if your revenue is heavy in, let's say, Europe and Asia, you'd want to file there as well as as well as probably the United States. Uh, but if you have, let's say, manufacturing in Taiwan or you have manufacturing in Canada, you might want to consider filing there. Um, you know, if you just look at the statistics where most people are filing, that tends to be in U.S., Europe, uh, China are probably where most companies have the highest amount of filings. But it really is dependent on not only the company, but the, the, that exa the exact business and the product and where it will be, um, where it will be commercialized. Uh, let's get to some specifics. For example, what are the common mistakes? And I'll start with my favorite or the, the one that I hated most. And you already brought it up. Um, one of my international patents was violated by myself. I published the paper and only then was internationally filed. What are other mistakes? Yeah, so I mean, I think you just alluded to it, uh, making sure that you um, submit uh, a disclosure to us well before any potential publication date or anything like that is, is always critical. And I think we've brought that up uh, more than once so far in the interview, but that's uh, just because of, of how important it is. So being able to really submit your idea to us, uh, you know, as soon as you've conceived of it, is it's really going to set you up uh, in the best position to, to get that uh, patent and, and to not have any issues. Um, there, there are other things to consider as well. Uh, you want to make sure that you really tell us about any relevant information with regards to the patents. So, you know, what context was in, was the invention conceived? How was it developed and, and why was it developed? You know, was it part of some government contract or are there plans to implement it in a standard or, or open source? Those types of things that we wanna know about them um, so that we can make sure that we cross our T's and dot all our I's. And it's not to say from, from any of the uh, examples I listed that we could not obtain a patent on, on those materials. So definitely go ahead and submit regardless uh, of those circumstances, but just know that uh, we, we'd like to know about them to make sure that we have everything in order because there's uh, specific criteria in, in different situations that we, we need to abide by. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'll also add inventorship is important, trying to um, understand who the inventor should be listed. It's really a function of the claims. Um, if, if somebody contributed to a, to a particular claim, they should be listed as, a, as an inventor. And like we mentioned earlier, it's a process and the claims sort of get changed during the process. So inventorship is not something you should only think about at the front end of the process. You should also look at what the claims are at any given time during the process and make sure the inventorship lines up with it. And a common mistake I've seen is people are over-inclusive and maybe um, treat it almost like a, a scientific paper where this person maybe they're over over inclusive they're including their boss they're including somebody who maybe helped with grammar or editing but not really the people that contributed to the the inventive concept itself um so we see over inclusive we also see under inclusive where somebody should have been listed as an inventor so i think definitely paying attention to inventorship is very important yeah you think these inventions can come out of let's say a brainstorming session in a meeting or something like that it shouldn't be everybody that was in the room at the time necessarily unless all of those people actually 
con uh, contributed to the conception of the invention itself. Uh, it's also not the person who, who merely came up with the problem to be solved. It's, it's the, the one who actually developed the solution itself. So, so these are just different nuances to consider. And, and one final thing to mention is to, to let us know about any sort of um, re relationship with, uh, for example, if this is part of a government contract, we should mm -hmm. we should know about that. If this is being submitted to a standard, we should know. Uh, if there's an open source uh, relationship, we should know about those those type of things because they they can have an impact, and it's something we want to be able to track, and and uh, consider. Would you like to close with any advice to potential inventors? Yeah, one bit of advice I have is to just keep a record of, of what you're working on. Uh, I would strongly suggest you schedule a reminder in Outlook, say once a month, um, to just take a step back and, and consider what you've recently developed and whether there's anything potentially uh, patentable in that line of work that's worth submitting. Uh, you know, we can often, you know, put our heads down and be focused on the next, uh, the next release, the next version, or, or the next uh, uh, IP sprint or what have you. Um, but just being able to actually take that step back and, and take the time to, to actually submit your idea for patenting, it, it really doesn't take that much time, um, and it's, uh, it has incredible value. So, so being able to kind of set those checkpoints for yourself can be really helpful. We've been talking a lot about innovation of others. Has IP team that you gentlemen are running innovated anything? Yeah, certainly. You know, innovation's a core tenant here at HPE, so we're always looking to innovate. And uh, more and more, we're automating and simplifying because we want to make the process smooth, and we want to take things that have been done manually for years and really, and, and really automate. And and one. Um, Innovation, I'd like to highlight, this is something we're, we're rolling out uh, as we speak, is um, Joshua earlier mentioned the patent committee process. And traditionally, you submit a disclosure and you'd have just a few people who are experts in that field review the disclosure and make a decision. Well, we've heard from many people in the company, they would like to be part of that process. They would like to have their voice heard. So one thing we're doing is starting what we call a sort of a crowdsourcing approach to patent committee. So when a disclosure comes in, the disclosure doesn't just go to a small group, it actually goes to a group that's dynamic. And we have an algorithm behind it that dynamically identifies people within the company who might have invented in this space or who are um, experts in this space mm -hmm. and reaches out to a cast a broader net and ask them to provide their input. Uh, on those inventions and actually ask, enables them to interact with the inventors and interact with each other such that you could take an initial idea and actually uh, grow it and other voices can be heard. And it just brings, I think it's important, especially in this time for people's voice to be heard, for there to be great transparency. Okay. And that's definitely something we're working towards. It's something new and I think revolutionary in, in, in our industry. And we're excited to, to bring that forth at HPE. Amir, Joshua, uh, even though I've been patenting for decades, I learned a lot from you. So uh, uh, it was a great pleasure. I hope our audience uh, learned a lot too. Thank you very much for joining this uh, podcast. Well, thanks, right. Dehan, for organizing this and also for always being a contributor to IP yourself. Not only have I seen you, um, you know, encourage others to, to submit their ideas, but I believe you have more than uh, 50 granted patents to your name at HPE now. So, you know, that doesn't go uh, 
uh, unappreciated. It's a huge value to the company. Thank you. Yeah, very impressive. Thank you so much for organizing this. Thank you, gentlemen.